This morning we come to a turning point in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. By the way, some of you have not been here uh, before or you're returning uh, back to us again. Uh, we've actually been studying uh, the book of Matthew since uh, January of 2012. So uh, we're making progress. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, we're, we've been looking at the story uh, that tells us of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, prior to this point, Jesus' earthly ministry was, for the most part, warmly received. Many marveled at his teaching and wondered at the miracles that he performed. But when we come to chapter 11, we find that Jesus uh, began to experience some opposition. Uh, we find that people to whom he came did not receive him. The Pharisees and the religious leaders began to bring accusations against him. Even members of his own family uh, began to turn against him, and the people of his own hometown rejected him. Uh, we find that his teaching became more and more controversial in the minds of those who heard it. His authority became increasingly challenged. His actions became increasingly viewed as a threat to the religious culture of the day. Uh, the opposition against him grew and it grew until eventually he was betrayed into the hands of wicked men and he died alone on a despised cross with his few remaining followers having abandoned him. Now if I may put it this way, and I might do so with utmost reverence, Jesus, at the end of his earthly ministry, proved to be a great disappointment to those who followed him and expected so much from him. Now, I'll explain that here in a little bit. But, uh, uh, it, of course, he was, they were disappoint, disappointed in him at the end of his ministry when he died and was buried. And then again, uh, after that, though, he rose three days later, just as he had promised, and uh, now he lives as our Savior. But you know what? Jesus always exceeds expectations. Now, before we look at this particular account here in chapter 11, let me share another story with you. Do you remember the story of the two disciples as they walked along the road of Emmaus shortly after Jesus had been crucified? We'll find it here in Luke chapter 24. Now, this week uh, we went up to see uh, Gwen at the hospital when, uh, Monday when she had her procedure and uh, uh, putting the stents in and so forth. And uh, then we, uh, while she was having that procedure, we went over to the Morowskis and visited with them. And uh, Brother Jim uh, showed me his project that he had been working on, a picture of these two men walking along the Emmaus Road. And uh, Jim did a, a wonderful job at it. And uh, a beautiful framework and a light, and it's down in his basement there. It's very beautiful. But as I uh, read this story again, I couldn't help but notice the disappointment they must have felt over Jesus. You know, without their knowing it, Jesus had risen from the dead in victory. At this point, their eyes were restrained. They didn't know that he'd come alongside uh, the road bodily and walked with them. Uh, they were mourning his death, death. And as they uh, walked along there, this fellow traveler, who was Jesus himself, asked them why they were so sad, why they had such a look of disappointment on their faces. 
And of course, they were astonished at the question. It tells there in Luke 24, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been uh, he which w- should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said. And they, but him they saw not. Now think of the disappointment they had expressed. They said this, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And for them at this point, he wasn't that person. He didn't do that. He died on Calvary's cross. He died, and so like so many of that day, they were expecting Jesus to be the conquering, victorious Messiah that the Jewish people were hoping for and had long been expecting. They were looking for Him to be the mighty military and political leader, one who would overthrow the Roman government and bring a victorious end to the occupation of their land, and who would then take up the rightful uh, place upon the throne of King David and restore the earthly kingdom of Israel to its former glory and majesty. Instead, what happened? Jesus, the one whom they had pinned their hopes, was crucified upon a humiliating Roman cross like a common criminal, and all their expectations of him were abruptly cut short. Now, it's clear they still loved him. But just as clearly, it seems like there's great disappointment in their hopes. And yet here, ironically, there he was, alive, walking along and talking to them. And as we read on in that passage in Luke 24, we find he even rebukes them for misunderstanding the situation as it really was. He said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. They were disappointed with Jesus because he hadn't fulfilled their expectations that they had for him. And yet he rebuked them for not having the right expectations and for not believing what the Scriptures had said would happen to him. And so he began speaking to them uh, about, uh, from the writings of Moses and on through the rest of the Scriptures. And point by point, he proved to them that in dying on the cross, he actually fulfilled everything that the Scriptures promised concerning the Messiah. Boy, I would have loved to have heard that sermon, wouldn't you? The Bible tells us that their hearts burned within them as they opened the scripture. he opened the Scriptures to them. And I believe they began to see that the problem was not with Jesus. The problem was with them. They had not believed what the Scriptures had said concerning Him, and so they had come to expect Him to do things that He had never promised that He would do. 
And naturally, when he didn't do what they expected him to do, they were disappointed. Now, with humility of heart, they must have experienced when they finally came to understand this, and they repented of their misunderstanding, I'm sure. And what joy must have been theirs when he revealed himself to them, and he re they realized that he truly had been, had been doing what he had promised all along, and even much more. And even greater joy still, and what glorious hope must have been theirs when they realized that he truly was uh, going to fulfill the promises about himself and, yet, and that were yet to be accomplished. Now, let's be honest this morning. Have you ever been disappointed with Jesus? Now, be honest. Did you ever approach him with a set of expectations and find that he didn't fulfill them? Have you ever felt as if Jesus let you down? You said, no, 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 I'd never, I'd never think such a thing. Well, maybe you've encountered some people who become offended at Jesus. That is because he didn't do what they expected him to do. You know, some, some people expect that if, if, they are at, uh, if they ask, then he'll get them out of a particular situation or a problem that they've gotten themselves into. And he didn't get them out of that problem. And so they become disappointed with him. There are many people sitting in a prison cell somewhere, very disappointed and bitter toward the Lord for the very same reason. Others have expected that, you know, if I pray and I ask him, well, Jesus is obligated to take away my illness or the illness of a loved one. But many people have sat in a funeral director's office somewhere, very delusioned and disappointed with Jesus for not fulfilling that expectation. Others have heard from a preacher on television, or they've read it in a book someplace, if you just turn to Jesus and you follow Him, He will certainly bless you with material prosperity in your life. And they're even promised if they will just give generously to a particular ministry, the Lord Jesus is guaranteed to bless you hundreds of times over. And yet as a result, many people today find themselves broke and very disappointed with Jesus for not fulfilling their expectation. And perhaps you've heard such stories in one way or another. You've been told, you know, by someone, well, I tried Jesus, and I tried trusting Him, and I found it just didn't help. It doesn't work to trust Him. Those kinds of stories are heartbreaking, but I have to say this, the problem is never with Jesus when He disappoints our expectations. The problem is always with us and our expectations of Him. We expected Him to do something that He never said He would do. We expect Him to fulfill our expectations on call. And yet the plain fact is that He isn't obligated to fulfill one expectation we place upon Him. Now on the other hand, the more I get to know the Lord, the more He surprises me. As I've gotten to know him better over the years, I've found that he isn't always what I expected him to be. But I've always found that he does everything that he promises to do 
in a way that exceeds my feeble expectations of him. And so here in Matthew chapter 11, we have a man, John the Baptist, who was appointed by God to be the greatest advocate for Jesus on this earthly ministry, and a man who in fact had been prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures as the forerunner, the herald of our Lord's earthly ministry. And it seems like he's expressing a growing sense of disappointment. Yet the Lord looked, took his doubts seriously, and he answered them. And what the Lord told him in this passage, I believe, can give us great encouragement for our times of doubt. Those times when Jesus seems to disappoint us. And so, in looking at the apprehension of John, notice with me, first of all, the problem. The problem. Now, we've really already been talking about the problem. And the problem is this. The problem is that Jesus does not always fulfill the expectations we place on him. The setting of this particular story was the completion of Jesus' commission to his 12 disciples. He was sending them out with orders to preach about him to the cities of the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus gives them many instructions. He gives them warnings. Uh, we saw that in chapter 10. But we come here to chapter 11 and verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit intentionally included this particular story at the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry throughout these cities of Israel. Because as we read on, we find the people of Israel did not receive him or repent at his preaching. You, will ha uh, you would have expected on a strictly human level that the Messiah would have been warmly received by those who were waiting for him. But the fact is that you have what you have here is a wrong expectation. The Bible prophesied long ago that this would be the case. Isaiah wrote in one of the clearest prophecies in all the scriptures, and we'll find that in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, we're going to look at a number of passages in Isaiah, and I just invite you to uh, turn to Isaiah 53, at, first of all, with me, as I read what was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah uh, hundreds of years before, and then place a marker there as we go kind of back and forth here uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 11. But in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. No one, then, should have expected the Messiah to be well-received by his own people at his first coming. The scriptures never promised that he would. In fact, they promised the very opposite. Matthew goes on to suggest to us what is happening within the mind of John the Baptist at this time. John had been thrown into prison. We saw that back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. 
And he may have been in prison for quite some time. He had served faithfully as God's prophet. He had been confronted, uh, fronting open sin in the life of the king. He had confronted Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee. Because Herod had married the wife of his own brother in disobedience to the scriptures. Now try to think with me what might have been going through John's mind. He's sitting there in prison. He's been a faithful prophet of God. He knew that he indeed had been sent by God as the voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord! Make his path straight. He knew that he had given, was given by God for him to announce the coming of the Messiah and to point Jesus out to the people and declare, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And what's more, he knew that this coming one would be a conquering, victorious Messiah. He told the people who came to be baptized by him, Back in Matthew chapter 3, I indeed baptize you with water unto a repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he shall pur thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff which un with unquenchable fire. And yet, he's in prison. John is suffering. And he couldn't help but notice that the mighty conquest doesn't seem to be happening. His disciples had apparently told him what Jesus was doing, but it wasn't going the way he thought it was supposed to go. Where was the winnowing fan? Where, were the, where was the unquenchable fire? The things that Jesus was doing were certainly wonderful. He was healing people. They are not at all what John was expecting. He expected Jesus to ride in on a, go, a white stallion. Instead, it seemed as if they, he was just strolling across the land with a first aid kit. Now John sits in prison and he sees that Jesus, not even behaving like a conquering Messiah, should. And all of Israel, ex, uh, of course, expected the Messiah and they had their expectations Perhaps then you can relate to John's doubts and his growing disappointment when you read in chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Now when J John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? So there's the problem. We have expectations about Jesus, but he doesn't always fulfill the ex expectations we place on him. Seems to me as I read the Bible more and more that we should get used to the fact that Jesus often surprises us. Just when we think we know him, we find that he's quite a, a bit different from that what we thought he was. He always proves to be more than we th thought he was. And he always proved to be greater than our expectations of him are. He will always exceed our understanding. Now, John was right about the things he expected Jesus to do. He was right to expect Jesus to be the conquering Messiah that he believed him to be. But the error of the Jewish people to whom he had come, the error also of John, who was the greatest and best of the Jewish people, was thinking that it, that was all Jesus was, just a conquering Messiah. 
And it's true that he will eventually be the conquering king that the scriptures promise that he will be. But first, first, he comes to earth as the suffering sacrifice. And the scriptures also promise that of him as well. And so this leads us then to acknowledge something that we ourselves should always remember when Jesus disappoints our expectations. We need to not only see the proof of the problem, but the secondly, the proof. The proof. Jesus keeps his word in greater ways than we expect. Luke, in his gospel of this story, tells us that the disciples that John had actually sent, spent time with Jesus when they came with this question. Uh, Luke tells us that they uh, were with Jesus the same hour and that he cured many of their infirmities and the plagues and the evil spirits and of many that were blind, he gave sight. Now, I wonder, maybe they watched for a little while and then Jesus turned to them and said, Now, fellas, you had a question for me from John? What is it? Now, how would it have been at such a time to say, Lord, our greatest master, our master sent us to, to you with doubts in his heart. He sent us to ask you, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? But now that we have seen ourselves, how could we have ever asked such a thing? I greatly appreciate how Jesus deals with John's doubts. He loved John. He respected his question. And our Lord didn't rebuke John for asking, but he did give him an answer. The answer he needed. Notice verse 4. He said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. And here's a lesson for us. Sometimes our doubts and disappointments are alleviated through the experience of another brother or sister in Christ that Jesus sends our way. Perhaps there are times when doubts about Jesus are meant to be taken away through eyewitness accounts of friends or loved ones who can testify from personal experience that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that He powerfully changes the lives of those who trust Him. He may not fulfill all of our expectations, our fallible expectations of Him. But if we listen, even to others who love Him, we may well be reminded that He does so much more than we can expect. And Jesus goes on to pass on His Masonic, uh, Messianic, uh, excuse me, Messianic uh, credentials to John. He tells the disciples of John to tell them, uh, tell him what they both see and hear, both what they have watched with their own eyes and what they have heard as a testimony from others. Let's look at verse 5. He says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. These, of course, were all the things that Jesus had done. The disciples of John saw some of it with their own eyes. They heard the testimony of it from others. And I remind you that you and I have the same testimony recorded for us in the Scriptures so that we too might believe in Him. But there's more. The report of these things would have been tremendously significant to any Jewish man or woman who knew 
the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. Every Jewish person who was truly paying attention and who knew the Scriptures would have remembered such passages back in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 17 and 18. Isaiah 29, verse 17 and 18. I told you to hold your place and I didn't hold mine. Here we go. Isaiah 29, 17, it says, Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness? Here's a promise of the glorious days of the coming of the Messiah. Or maybe these people should have remembered the, uh, the Scriptures in Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 verse 4, where it says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He, shall, he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Or even Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 and verse 1 and 2. Notice what he says there in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all that mourn. A Jew who was paying attention to the Scriptures should have remembered these things. I believe that when disciples of John went back and told John these things that they heard and saw, I think John remembered these promises. His heart was encouraged. And indeed, uh, as the Messiah that he and his people had been waiting for, here was Jesus was doing at what the Scriptures promised that he would do. And then, although we're not told this, I believe that John even remembered more. I believe the connection uh, that he would have made in his mind to the promises of the book of Isaiah would have also reminded him of yet of another set of promises made there concerning the Messiah's suffering. Again, as we go back to Isaiah 53, we begin reading in verse 12, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this, his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he hath done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord 
to bruise him. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made transgression, intercession, excuse me, made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God for that. Here, promised hundreds of years before, and now it's coming to happen here in the book of Matthew, John no doubt remembered what the scripture said. Now we're not told of this. Again, I'm speculating a bit here, but I suspect that John reflected on what was told him about the works of Jesus. He began to realize this conquering Messiah was much, much more than he expected. His expectations, of course, of Jesus were biblical. But if I may put it this way, they were not biblical enough. He now knew Jesus would prove to be the conquering king of kings, but that Jesus must first come to serve as a suffering sacrifice for sinners and truly be the Lamb of God. Now I believe our doubts and our disappointments with Jesus began to disappear when we realize that he is so much greater than our expectations. He fulfills all of His promises, but always does so in ways that are greater than we could possibly imagine. Again, I have to pause at this point and just ask the question, are you disappointed with Jesus? Has He failed in some way to fulfill your expectations? Perhaps because you've not really expected enough. Perhaps you're only looking to Him to provide something that you want but you didn't realize that He comes first to provide something that you need. Perhaps you have not trusted Him as what He first came to be, and that is the Lamb of God who sacrificed Himself for your sins on the cross. That leads me to one final thing here, and that is a word that Jesus spoke to John, but I believe it's intended to be an encouragement for us all this morning who have doubts and disappointments, and that's the promise. We've seen the problem, the proof. Now notice the promise. Blessed is the one who is not offended because of him. To John and to all that have mis mistaken expectations of Jesus that he did not fulfill, he says, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. The word offended here means to cause to stumble. When Jesus disappoints someone's illegitimate expectations of him. It's easy for them to stumble, to turn away. It's easy for them to think, well, he's let me down. They don't want anything to do with him anymore. Maybe you've known some people like this. Maybe this has happened in your life at one time or another. When you thought Jesus should do something for you and he didn't do it and you say, well, I don't, I don't need this Christianity. I don't need the Lord not doing me any good anyway. What benefit am I getting out of it? It was the attitude that even John the Baptist was being tempted by, but here Jesus encourages 
each one of us not to give up. I wonder, did you come here this morning in some way disappointed with Jesus? Do you struggle with doubts about Him because He hasn't done what you wanted Him to do? Has He in some, uh, in some deeply personal, painful way grieved you by falling short of your expectations? Then please know that you're not alone. In fact, you are in good company. Even the great John the Baptist struggled in the same way. Now, if that's your experience this morning, then please know that Jesus loves you. Please allow me to offer you maybe some counsel from this morning's passage. First of all, I rec recommend you step back and examine your expectations. Examine your expectations of Him. Have you been expecting Him to do something for you or something to you that He has never promised in the Scriptures? Remember, the disappointment never comes from Him. It comes from our wrong and unbiblical expectations about Him. Perhaps you have some expectations of Him that you've created in your own mind or that you've been taught by someone who's misrepresented Jesus. Perhaps you are here this morning with some ex expectations of Jesus that you need to repent of. And you need to let go of them. Secondly, I urge you to go to the Scriptures and get to know Him better. Get to know Him better. Find out what Jesus is really like. Learn what He has truly promised to do. He always surprises those who get to know Him. He always is greater than our expectations. He always does far more exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. His Word assures us that He always fulfills His promises and He always will do so in a way that far exceeds our greatest expectation of Him. And then thirdly, remember His word of encouragement. Remember His word of encouragement. Blessed is He, whosoever shall not be offended in Me. And we often say, many times we use this when we're trying to encourage people. And I think, in a sense, He's saying this to us, but I, and I hate to trivialize it, but we say, hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Hold on to Him. Never let Him go. Admit that you don't always understand Him. That by faith, you will cling to Him. If you embrace Him with all your heart as the suffering Savior who died on the cross for you, then you can be rest assured that He will never prove to be a disappointment to you. Don't quit. Hold on to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for even this little passage of Scripture talking about John's apprehension, how we can learn and we can be encouraged even from the disappointment of someone who was much greater than we are. He was a man that you had put into a place, a very important place of heralding and proclaiming the coming of the, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Yet, he was a human being 
He was a sinner just like we are. And it seems like he had some wrong expectations, some disappointments. But Lord, we thank you for your love. The love that you showed to John and the love that you show to us. And how you remind us that we just need to be back in the book looking at the promises of what you actually did promise to do and claiming those promises for our lives as well. Lord, help us to get to know you better. Help us to examine our expectations, get to know you better, and remember your words of encouragement. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning, even as we close this service. There's someone here that has never put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today they will come. Have someone point out from the Scriptures how they can know that they're saved. If there are people with doubts and need assurance, help them to come and do business with thee. And Lord, help us to examine our expectations. Help us to confess where we have expected things from you that should never have been expected. But Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us as an individual, as, a fam as families, and as a church. And we pray, Lord, your blessing of your word on our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.